0: Baruch Hashem, you're a bad Jew. Shalom. (gasps) Welcome back to the podcast. With me today is Rabbi Moshe Briski, of Chabad Kanejo I'm so grateful to have you here. How are you doing today, Rabbi?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How's about you yourself, Jazz?
0: I am doing great. And, you know, the way that I connected with you, I'm in this networking group called Jewish Business Leaders. And, you know, my father actually helped found this specific right. group. And my father is a huge fan of yours. Uh, we, we absolutely love what you do. And I'm just, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for being on this podcast. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: Of course. So we're today going to talk about How many types of Jews are there? This has actually been a question that was voiced in my online WhatsApp group chat, um, which only has conversation on Open Forum Fridays, so you're not going to be spammed. If you ever want to go and participate in our online forum, be sure to check out the link tree where you can sign up for the community, and we'll get you on that WhatsApp as soon as possible. But until then, Rabbi Brisky, we have a challenge on this podcast a four-minute challenge to tell your life story inspired by <laughs> the New York Times, 36 questions to fall in love. Uh, are you ready to answer the question?
1: I can try. I don't know that I'll take a full full four minutes, but it's we'll give it a show. You, you never know.
0: <laughs> All right. Here we go. And go.
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Rabbi Moshe Brisky. I serve as the executive director of Chabad of the Kineo in the Keneo Valley of California. I've been here now for some 39 years. I've been sent by the Lubavitcher Cherebi with the sole mission as to reach out to every single Jew uh, that lives in this area, and in any possible way that we can. Uh, we started the Chabad Center in Westlake Village with about 1,200 square feet of space, and from there we have grown now to nine centers uh, in the Keneo Valley, including our headquarters here in the Gura Hills and we service the community in every possible way through adult education through synagogues through hebrew schools and hebrew highs for teenagers a seed team program a youth program a gun program for little children but we see our task as reaching out to try to find a way into the heart and soul of each and every single jew so at chabad there's no members everyone's a member everyone's a part of it and we just welcome everyone that we in any possible way that we can i'm married to my wife mati uh, we have eight children and 10 grandchildren, thank God. And we have been part of this community and look ourselves as very proud members of Agora Hills, of the Agora Hills Jewish community.
0: Incredible, Rabbi. That. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's that was just nicely done. You've been practicing that, haven't you?
1: <laughs> Rehearsing <laughs> in the shower.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think that's absolutely amazing. Rabbi Brisky, we're here today to talk about how many types of Jews are there. And I I've never done this on this podcast before, okay. but I actually I I wanted to tell you a joke since you're the one to always tell stories. Okay. And by the way, for those who don't know, Robert Brisky is one of the best storytellers I ever I've ever uh, heard. So now I'm gonna embarrass myself by telling him a story, and let's see if I can actually make him laugh. I found a really great joke. Okay. Okay. All right. So here's the joke. A Jew is shipwrecked on a desert island. So if I and- yell out
1: the punchline, it wouldn't be good. Go ahead.
0: Do you, Do you know the punch? Do you already know this joke? That's the synagogue I don't go to? Oh, my God. <laughs> go
1: oh, ahead. Tell us for your audience.
0: Oh, he knows the joke. Oh, I'm not going to get him to laugh now. Bummer. I'll I'm try. To, if you ever come back on the podcast? I'll try <laughs> to find a more unique for joke.
1: Your challenge right. will be to find the joke I haven't heard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so for those who have not heard this joke, go a ahead. Jewish shipwrecked on a desert island. Ten years later, a passing ship notices his campfire and stops to rescue him. When the captain comes ashore, the castaway thanks him profusely and offers to give him a tour of the little island. He shows off the weapons he made for hunting, the fire pit where he cooked his food, the synagogue he built for praying in, the hammock where he sleeps. On their way back to the ship, however, the captain notices a second synagogue. I don't understand, the captain says. Why did you need to build two synagogues? Oh, says the Jew. This is the one I would never set foot in. So, darn it. You got yep. me there. That was good, Rabbi.
1: That's oh, a, a good lead into the subject.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it just goes to show you, for those who, you know, might not be right. too familiar with, you know, their Jewish identity or how the Jewish world works. There are a lot of places that some Jews don't entirely feel comfortable with. Other spaces where Jews do feel comfortable with that they go to, just depending on their denomination, right. their ethnicities. You know how their their upbringing really is what it comes down to so rabbi brisky i wanted to ask you you know based on that how many types of jews are there
1: so we often hear about the divisiveness um you know your 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 joke it's, it's a great it's a great humorous joke but it also has that serious content to it of we're always being thought about as we're the ones that don't belong there we do belong here We have more labels than Baskin-Robbins has flavors, perhaps. I remember a Jewish journal ad a number of years ago for High Holidays, and it listed every single synagogue. And every synagogue had a different title to them. We're a, a conservative reform temple. We're a conservative reform temple. We're a reconstructionist temple. And everyone's trying to come up with additional add-ons to their label, so it's not just Reformed, Conservative, Orthodox anymore, but even within each one. I'm a modern Orthodox, some of this. The answer to your question, really, is one. There's only one type of Jew, and we're all that same Jew. We may practice differently, we may view the world differently, we may study Torah differently, but in the real essence of who we are, we're one. There's only one type of Jew, and that is a Jew. And the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, when asked this question as to what is a Jew, define a Jew, he defined it by saying that in the Torah scroll, there are over 300,000 letters, 304,000 letters in the Torah scroll, every letter put in very, very carefully. But Jewish law says that if but one letter is missing from the Torah scroll, that Torah scroll can't be used. It has to be put away until a scribe can fix it. And if even a part of one letter is missing, not even a full letter, the letter is there but a little bit of the ink scratched off, again, that Torah scroll needs to be put away until someone completes it. He said a Jew is a letter in the scroll A letter in the scroll means that you play a part, you play an important role, and without you, there's something missing from the whole. And therefore, we have to start viewing every Jew in that category of you are a letter in the scroll, and without you, there's something lacking for all of us. And we need you, and you need us, and we all need to be together as one and recognize the oneness of the Jewish people. Now, yes, we can get into the divisiveness. We can get into the differences between us. But the real focus has to be that each of us are really part of one family. If you, if you, if you think about it this way, I often use this as an example, and I, I ask your audience to think this way with me. Let us suppose your your flight somehow in the middle of the flight is told that they have to land in some emergency landing in some airport in some strange city and you're you're stuck there for a day or two. You know absolutely nobody there. And you're walking the street of this neighborhood and you don't even know the name of this city. And you pass a house and you see a mezuzah on that door. Okay? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? You don't know the person that lives in that house. You don't know their name. You don't know their temple affiliation. You don't know if they're Reformed, Conservative, Orthodox, Reconstructionist, Sephardic, Askenazic. You know nothing. Well, what's the feeling that came into your heart and your soul the moment you saw that, Mesizah? That there's a connection. There's a bond. There's something here. You can't really explain it because chances are once you that door opens and you meet that person, you have nothing in common. You don't like that person. But before that door opened, you felt a bond to a total stranger. That's the way we need to start seeing each other, that we're really one. And we have to get through that challenge of opening the door and getting to know one another and then learning how to bond even if we disagree. So in in simple, the answer is one.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I love that answer because that really is what the premise of this podcast is about. I think we oftentimes grow up in again, our upbringings, this is coming back to our upbringings now, whether that is familial, whether that is the congregation you went to or or the leader that taught you. There are so many leaders out there that either subliminally or intentionally do this, but they draw lines in the sand that don't exist. And they call Jews that don't practice in familiar ways to their way, bad Jews. Right. And that's why the podcast is called Bad Jew, right. by I, the way. When,
1: when you sent me the name of the podcast, I was trying to understand where it was coming from, and then you sent me the explanation behind it. And it's it's sad and it's tragic. It really is, because there is no such thing as a bad Jew. There may Amen. be uneducated Jews. There may be uninspired Jews. There may be unaffiliated Jews. And there may be atheistic Jews. But they're, they're me. They're part of one. They're part of my right. family. Would right. I... If I disagree with my brother or my sister, what would that mean? They're still my brother my sister. We happen to have a disagreement, and we sit down at dinner together, and we laugh and we cry, but we're one. we got to get to that point that we are one. I mean, my father told me when he was uh, in, in a bomb shelter during the war, during World War II, during the Holocaust period of time, and he was in a bomb shelter with many other Jews. He says, and at that moment you realize it didn't really make a difference where each one davened how they davened, if they davened, if they prayed. It didn't matter. They were one. They were one people. I read an interesting thing in in Mike Wallace's biography. Mike Wallace, if you remember, from 60 Minutes. (laughs) Um, He publicized often that he was an atheist, that he did not believe in God. And he said it quite often in his biography, that he, he just had no belief in God. And perhaps in many of his politics, he demonstrated that as well. And yet he writes in this interesting chapter that the one thing he remembers growing up is that his grandmother taught him before he goes to sleep to say the Shema. <laughs> to say Shema, and that he kept. So th- this is a, an avowed atheist who every night would say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Heroism. He knew the translation, Hero Israel. Right? right. And he's speaking about God. God is one, but he's an atheist. Right. And he said when he went through bouts of depression in his life, that's what gave him comfort, the Shema. Now, it's such a beautiful story. Now, people read it and say it makes no sense. He's a hypocrite. It doesn't. No, it makes perfect sense because it's one Jew. We're all one. And yeah, some people, whatever background it may have been and whatever may have disappointed them in God or in people or in the Jewish people. The fact is there are brothers, there are sisters. So there is no bad Jew. There are Jews that, for whatever reason, and that's, I think, what your podcast is about, is trying to find out what bothers you, what turns you off. And if if we gave effort to finding the answer to there and not dismiss it out of hand by saying, ah, you're bad, you don't belong. No, you do belong. And I'm going to try to answer, and I may not answer it successfully, but it doesn't really matter because you're still one family. You're still my brother. You're my sister. And we're Amen. one. Amen.
0: Amen. And that is really, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, Jews are in that proverbial bomb shelter to this day. I think it's a really touching story um, mm-hmm. that you shared. Touching stories, by the way, again, Rabbi Brisky, best storyteller. We come to this point where, you know, we stop thinking of each other as one person, as one people. And we start to instead treat each other like they are incomplete Torahs, the way you described a Torah that has one letter missing, or even a fraction of a letter missing, is an incomplete Torah, and thus it is made wrong, and we keep on treating each other like that. I've heard people in my own community refer refer to um, different denominations that they are unfamiliar with as bad Jews, even if they aren't explicitly saying the phrase bad Jew, Mm -hmm. that's the connotation they've given them. And instead of trying to understand them, instead of trying to you know, sit with them and have a dialogue with them, the inclusive nature of that teaching gets tossed to the wind and they live an exclusive life. And that is one of the most detrimental, one of the most tragic things to ever come to the Jews. And it's, it's, it's us making, it's us repeating mistakes. Right. Because the, these are the very mistakes that led, from what I understand, you'll have to confirm here, these are the very mistakes that led to the destruction of the second temple. so how can we possibly ever even imagine achieving a third temple
1: yeah we have to get out of the the world of judgmentalism and start treating each other as one family Mm -hmm. love one another before anything welcome one another before anything and it's only then when you really have that ahavat yisrael that you're referring to of what's going to rebuild the holy temple Mm-hmm. is this love for one another because we're one people and we're one family we've been through thousands of years of persecution out there mm-hmm. and today we have a period of time where we have the freedom to be proud and open jews let's do it together right we can always disagree there's plenty of time for disagreements but first let's establish the fundamental that it's one family and one people with one heart and one soul and then and then we'll go from there
0: absolutely i i think this is a principle of it's it's a beautiful thing that jews have this amazing capability to apply critical thinking such critical thinking by the way that we oftentimes hear two jews three opinions right right but along with those three opinions along we i think we tend to overthink it and we come up with studies like this i'll just show up a few i'll just pull up a few different studies here that i've that i've found online you know this was from you know, Pew Research is a graph, they showed a breakdown of the populations within Israel. And these are lines that people drew in the sand back in 2014, 2015, right? Right. Same thing here with Fuller Studio, they went and did a Jewish, they did a study in 2013 of the US Jewish population. And this was uh, another set of statistics right here. To me, what that means is that they weren't asking the question, you know, do you identify as Jewish, they were asking the question, how do you jew how do you you know how do you identify as a jew i go back
1: to that if i started with remember that jewish journal advertisement
0: yeah so they they asked me
1: to be a part of it if i would put my chabad centers listed in there and i said absolutely and they said then what denomination do you want to be do you want to be called orthodox or hasidic and i said no i want to be called jewish and they said no what do you mean? I said that that's the way I identify. I'm Jewish. And they called me back and they said our editor won't accept it. I said, "What do you mean?" Well, you need to put a denomination. I said, "Why? Where is it written in the Torah?" I'm going to give this mitzvah. This one's only going to the conservative movement. This one's going to the reform movement, and this one's... it doesn't say it anywhere. Right. It doesn't. Now, I'm not—I'm not stating that it doesn't exist. I'm not blind. I understand there is a Hasidic movement, and there's an Orthodox movement, and a modern Orthodox movement, and there's conservative. I—I I, I recognize that. Yeah. But we send, we tend to get so fixed on the denominations. And then within each denomination, every rabbi thinks a little bit differently than the other. So we have really created tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of some semi- little little Jewish groups. And all we're doing is we're focusing on the division of it instead of focusing on the much bigger picture. We're a nation that's been sent out into this world with a mission. That mission belongs to me and to you to every single one out there. It's the same mission statement that God gave to each and every single one of us. He needs us to be a light unto the nations. He created this world, and for the first 2,000 years, the world was going into total chaos. And we have a story of Noah and the flood and the story of the Tower of Babel, but until Abraham comes along, the stories are all negative. That which Abraham represented is something every single Jew, and I underline that, every single Jew represents We're all that light unto the nations. Every single one is an ambassador of God. Whether they practice everything, they practice 50%, 10%, or 0%, they are an ambassador of God to be a light unto the nations. How well is each one doing? Let's each self-judge ourselves. Let's ask ourselves that question instead of being asked from others, because when others ask us, they're being judgmental. We each have to ask ourselves today— have I been a light unto the nations? Have I brought joy to anyone out there? What have I done to make this world a better place today? That's our challenge. That challenge belongs to each and every single one of us. And and when, when Jews say, and I hear, hear this all the time, you can't mean me because I'm not a good Jew, and they'll say that about themselves, or I'm a Reformed Jew, and therefore it's not me. Don't put yourself down. Yeah, If you're born a Jew, you you have a mission on your shoulders. You have a responsibility. Again, free choice. You decide if you want to do it or not, but don't move yourself out of it. Don't put yourself down. I won't put you down. Don't do that to yourself. You each have, everyone has the soul that has been given to them with this energy, with this ability, with this spiritual force to change the world for the better. So now go ahead and do it. You know, Moses at the burning bush, familiar with that story. God comes to him and says, go to Pharaoh, go to Pharaoh. And Moses doesn't accept it right away. He'll continue to argue with God. And he says all different things. He says, I have a speech impediment. I don't speak clearly, right? And Mm -hmm. so it can't be me. It's got to be someone else. When that doesn't work, he'll say, what about Aaron? Why don't you pick my older brother? Why picking me? He'll keep coming up with excuses, According to the commentary, that argument went on for seven days, but put that aside. The fact is that he's throwing lines out to God, and what I often wonder is God's responses to Moses, because what what, what should be glaring to us is, why doesn't God say, I'll fix it? You have a speech impediment? I'm God. I can repair it. Boom. Now you speak like Shakespeare. The words flow out of your mouth. You speak like Walt Whitman. It, it, God can fix anything. He never says that to Moses. Right? He doesn't fix his problems. He complains that Aaron is not going to be happy. Aaron, his older brother, that he was chosen. God could have used FaceTime or Zoom, right? He had the technology back <laughs> he then. He could
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly. He could have Zoomed Aaron right in on the screen, and Aaron would say, Moses, I'm so proud of you. Don't worry about my... F- He doesn't do any of that. He just continues arguing with Moses that I'm the right man. Why not respond to what Moses is saying? And Perhaps the answer is, had he fixed it, then we each would have said that the only way we can fulfill a mission by God is if we're perfect. By not fixing it, God is saying to Moses and to each and every single one of us, you don't have to be perfect to accept the mission. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We each have our own impediments, our own weaknesses, our own challenges, our own doubts, our own struggles with faith. And yet God's saying to each and every single one of us, I need you to be Moses today. I need you to take on a mission. You know, we, we each for someone to believe that if one is totally observant that they don't struggle, Oh, we, every single one of us have our bouts with struggling, each in different ways, each coming from a different background. And so, the challenge is really for every single one of us to ask ourselves the question Am I fulfilling my mission? Is there something I can do more today than I did yesterday? Right. And don't worry about the labels.
0: And you know, I love that because this ties into a conversation that happened offline with the founder of One Table, Aliza Klein. And mm-hmm. Aliza, when we were talking about her being on the podcast, I accidentally said, something that wasn't accurate that pertains to this conversation, which is I, I described the different denominations as different levels of Judaism. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I want to stop you there. I want to reshape the way that you are thinking about it and say, instead of it being a different level of Judaism, frame it as a different style of Judaism. And when she said that i was like oh why aren't we recording right now that mm-hmm. should have been that should that needs to be said more and that's couldn't be a more true statement i think that these labels are really harmful as a matter of fact and yeah. it, it takes away from the validity of the stories i i didn't realize that moses you know i think when you when we get told the story about moses in the burning bush you don't hear at a first telling of the story that it took seven days yeah. for moses to get there the constant debate the constant, very natural human reaction of, well, here, let me give you this huge mission. And this is Moses. Yeah, this is is Moses. This is is, the main man. The
1: main guy, you know. he struggles. Yeah. He he struggles. You know, we had in the the portion just a few weeks ago, it's it's a verse that I often focus on on the very difficult subject of faith and suffering. Because that's, I would say, the most complex subject for anyone to take on. How do we understand where is God when people are suffering? It, 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 and it's it's not for this period of time. We need hours for it. But there's a verse at the end of the first portion of Exodus when Moses turns to God after seeing the suffering of the Jewish people. And this is after he came to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh just makes it worse. He turns to God and he says, Why have you done evil to these people and why have you sent me? He challenges God. Now, God could have said, You know what? You're fired. Don't you talk to me that way. God could have easily deleted the verse from the Bible, but yet he keeps it in. It's published. It's printed. In the most printed book in in, in the history of the world, found in every hotel room, right? And every child studying it will read Moses challenging God, saying, you're not being fair, you're not being just. We each can struggle, but it doesn't take away from the wholeness of the Jew. We are each Jewish Every single one of us, whatever denomination or affiliation you may belong to. And each of you are needed. That's the important mess. You are needed. You're not a member of the audience. You're not watching a show. You're on stage. The props are there. The music is there. But you're on stage and you need to deliver. I don't know how much time we have left, but if I can tell you a, a, another short story. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I did have a question I wanted to ask that pertained directly to, the, to what you are Go you're ahead. We're talking about people that... I think that message that you just gave pertains to people that are either interested in Judaism, but not fully practicing. They might be completely disengaged. They might have even a certain air of cynicism to it. Right. And that would inspire me if I heard that. But what about the other side of that? What kind of message could we deliver to, let's call this type of Jew, even though it's one type of Jew, right? A holier than thou type. Someone that looks down and is condescending towards their viewpoint on someone who might be practicing Reform Judaism, Reconstructionist. Okay. What do you say to that kind of Jew, and how do, we, how do we equalize the spectrum here?
1: Oh, there's so much I could say. Um, first and foremost, every single Jew has this relationship with God, and is God's prince and God's princess. So imagine that you were having a conversation with God. And the prince walked in, and the prince was thirsty. And you stopped your conversation with God to give the prince some water. Would the king be upset at you? Would the king say, hey, this is disrespectful? Meaning, you're in this relationship with God, the king of all kings, and you feel this bond— And you don't want to be disturbed by the fact that there's another prince or princess in the room because you're just totally focused on your religiosity. Perhaps what God wants you to do is stop a little bit from your own world and give yourself over to someone else. Be there for someone else. Teach someone else. Educate someone else. I've been doing this now for a long time. 39 years I've been here meeting a Jewish community. I've gotten to know the Jewish community up front. Agura Hills in the Kanao Valley is not exactly an Orthodox neighborhood. At least it wasn't back then. The Jews that are here are secular, some non-believers at all. And I find one common denominator. When the Jew is heard, when the Jew is welcomed, they embrace it. When the Jew feels threatened, when the Jew feels judged, when the Jew feels labeled or put down, they will walk away from you. So I say to anyone in, in the religious community that's listening, try it. Invite a Jew to your Shabbat table that wouldn't ordinarily be there. Invite someone in and get to know them. Don't question them. How many mitzvot are you doing? How much knowledge you have? Because they may not have any. And is that their fault? God put them in a home that did not raise them with any Jewish education. Is that their fault? Are you want to blame them for that? Why don't you get to know them, the person? Connect to their soul. And you'll find an, an entirely different a framework of, of thinking about your fellow Jew. I remember in my early days, a woman came to see me. In the early days it was always difficult because I, I was a kid as a rabbi here. I was here at the age of 20 years old. I was ordained quite young, sent out here quite young. And usually the first part of the conversation was, is your father in? They would ask me if my father was here because they thought the rabbi must have been my father. So if I got, got through that, uh, she came to ask me if I would help with a problem. The problem was her daughter intermarried and converted to Christianity. And is there anything you can do? I said, I can I can just speak to your daughter. I can try. Her daughter's name was Hope, and she gave me Hope's number. She lived in Orange County, and I called Hope. I introduced myself. I, I, I met your mom, and she wants me just to have a conversation with you. And she says, I'm not interested. I have no interest whatsoever in anything you have to say. That was, that was as much as I would try no interest. And that was the end of the conversation. Fast forward five years later, she calls me. Hi, my name is Hope. I don't know if you remember me. And I said, I actually do because I remember the name. Hope is not the name that I hear too often. And, and the name has always stayed with me. I remember I met your mother. She says, can we meet? I said, absolutely. She drives down from Orange County into Westlake Village. She came with her husband. And she tells me her story, that she was diagnosed with cancer, she's ill, and she had a lot of time to really think about life and her choices in life. And she realizes that she never gave Judaism a chance. So as she is in this spiritual mode of thinking, she wanted to take me up on that offer of of talking, but she wants her husband there with her. I said, absolutely. So I asked her, how did this begin? How did your uh, connection to Christianity begin? Where did you guys meet? And this was a story. She went to Hebrew school. She asked questions, spiritual questions. She asked about God. She asked about heaven. She asked about the Messiah. And she was mocked. She was mocked for asking these questions. She was made fun of, like, stop thinking these, these thoughts or whatever. She just didn't feel that these questions had validity. And she had a friend in school, that she happened to share this with, and her friend says, you know, I go to Sunday school in my church, and we talk about God and the Messiah and heaven and hell all the time. Why don't you come with me? So without telling a mother, she started going to church groups, and she loved it because they were speaking openly about religiosity and soul and, and God, and, and, and she felt attached to it. Years went by. She never told her parents that that's where she was going. She was just hanging out with her friends, and she met this guy in church, and they fell in love and we got married and we moved to Orange County and we started our life and we have children and we're and all of a sudden all these questions come to me did I really give Judaism a chance we started talking we started talking about Judaism that there is a God in Judaism that there's a Torah in Judaism there's a soul there's a Messiah all these questions we just started a conversation And the hours were going by, and the husband speaks up and says, I would be interested in learning as well together with my wife. I set them up with uh, Chabad in Orange County to continue their studies. Hope passed away six weeks after this encounter. I tell her story because I challenge my Jewish audience, do you judge her? Is she a quote-unquote bad Jew? Did she do anything wrong in life? because I'll give you my impression. My impression is when Hope's soul came to the heavenly world, she was greeted as a holy woman. She was welcomed into the heavenly world because she was a holy spiritual soul that spent her life searching, and no one bothered to take the time to give her her answers. My friends that are out there listening, whoever you may be, Invite people in, get to know them, engage in dialogue, engage in conversation. You don't know where it's going to end. Invest the time in your fellow Jew. You will find miracles opening up all around you because deep inside each and every single one of us is this this soul, this godly soul sent here for a mission. But unfortunately, for many of us, we just don't know what that mission is. And when we explain it and when we practice it and we show it, and we really tr- show that love for one another, it will blossom. It will shine.
0: And Rabbi, to add to that story, to add even more validity to the principle that you just described, I realized I wasn't intending at all to bring up this story, but I realized I have to, because I don't even think you know about this. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, my father has an incredibly close relationship with Rabbi Brisky. He has learned from Rabbi Brisky on many a times, and he Rabbi Brisky has gone and spoken for JBL many a times. So there's a close relationship there. Growing up, my best friend was my grandma. Her name was Lucy, mm-hmm. and the rabbi at the synagogue that we were going to, who shall not be named, did not commit the time to visit my grandma on her deathbed while she was in hospice care for political reasons, because of inner, inner political reasons in that synagogue at the time, when my dad wanted to bring in a spiritual leader to prepare my grandma for her next journey, she, he invited you. Right. And I, I don't know if you remember it. I would love to I, learn I, more about this experience, but I remember going, yeah. You, you visited her in her apartment while she was on her bed. Right. She had a hospice care worker there. Right. And she spent her life secular. This was one of her few engagements in her entire life with a rabbi, let alone someone who was labeled or would be labeled as Orthodox. And you, on her deathbed, got her to recite the Shema for the first time in her life. On her deathbed, she said the Shema for the first yeah. time.
1: Yeah. Holy soul. holy soul, holy soul.
0: Yeah, yeah. What you did for me and my family, Rabbi, was a bracha that transcended not just from her life, but impacted my life too. You know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I left for my Israel trip last year in July with, with Aish Lit, mm-hmm. led by Rabbi Jack and Shira Malol, I had an emotional breakthrough on that trip in the city of Tzfat. Mm-hmm. What happened was this one morning on shabbat morning i actually had a nightmare and i had a nightmare that i got in a fight with the three most religious guys on the trip <laughs> and that they had told on me and they gotten me kicked off the trip <laughs> and when i woke up at six in the morning on a saturday in Sfat, i remember waking up and seeing the guy that i was just fighting with sleeping peacefully next to me and i got up and I picked up a little business book that i had a little book for just some reading material i went downstairs to the lobby and i went to go read it when i heard rabbi jack's voice in the chapel in that Mm -hmm. hotel lobby so i walked to the chapel and i hear rabbi i i meet rabbi jack and rabbi jack is speaking in hebrew with another gentleman who's waiting for a minion to arrive for morning prayers and what ended up happening was finally 10 men showed up so the service could start a minion had formed the service began and the rabbi handed me a siddur and suddenly I'm looking at a book that has no page numbers on it <laughs> it's all in Hebrew there's no English transliteration and suddenly I'm like not <laughs> even involved and I had to interrupt the rabbi in the middle of in the middle of his prayers I said Rabbi where do I begin he goes oh you can start here and you can read through there and I said okay what am I reading exactly and he goes uh, you know he, he, he was already in the middle of his prayer so he said, listen, by you just being here, it's a mitzvah, you don't actually yeah. have to read from the book. Yep. And I remember in that moment, I felt incredibly detached. And I saw the prayer happening around me. And I saw this incredible connection that they all had in that one moment, that one uniform moment. And I realized this is something that's severely missing in my life. And it brought me back to my grandma, Ooh. who I realized I didn't want to recite the Shema. For the first Ooh. time on my deathbed, I didn't want to right. have that spiritual awakening in that point of my life. Wow, wow! So I started breaking up, started tearing up. I waited for an eleventh man to show up so I could leave, and I put my book away and I went for a city. I went for a walk around the city after that, Ooh. and it's still morning services, and you could hear every single individual chapel, every single individual home right. reciting their morning prayers. So you hear the same prayers being echoed from different homes. And I just started breaking down crying. And I uh, connected my grandma in that moment. And it felt like a mission from her that I should reconnect. I'm, with my I'm sure it
1: was. I'm sure yeah. it was.
0: Yeah. So I wanted I wanted to share with you that story and say thank you thank because you. your thank impact you. on my your what you did for my grandma impacted me. Thank you. Long run. There was a yeah. huge connection there. And I wanted to thank you for inviting someone into your home, so to speak. Even though you were technically in her home, you didn't judge yep. her. She wasn't a bad Jew in
1: your eyes. Hey, you, you'll never regret, and I say this to all of your audience, you'll never regret the time you invest in being there for someone else. I know you have a lot of things on your calendar and a lot of things on your schedule and a lot of things to do but You will never regret that time. You Sometimes you'll sit here and you'll hear a Chaz telling you the end of that story. right? You don't, Most of the times you won't. You won't know the effect that you may have had on her soul On her son on her grandson you won't know the end of the story but at the same time you've invested time in another human being be a light unto the nations just go out and do something positive you'll never regret it I'll I'll close with the story of Toscanini the altura Toscanini was one of the great maestros of past time he was a great conductor of symphony orchestras one of the, the leading in the world and he had a biographer that was writing his life story and he would often get together with his biographer And the biographer would ask him questions. And one time he asked Toscanini, can I come over tonight? Toscanini said, tonight I can't because I'm doing something very important. What are you doing? Well, I'm in ill health, so I couldn't travel to this other place where they're doing one of my symphonies that I wrote. So they set up something called shortwave radio. This is when it first came out. And I'm actually in my apartment going to be able to listen to a symphony orchestra taking place thousands of miles away, but I'll be able to hear how it goes. So the biographer says, I, I would love to watch you do it. I won't say a word. I just want to watch the, the subject of my book as he's hearing his own symphony being played by others. Okay, if you won't bother me, you won't disturb me, you can come over. Biographer comes, watches Toscanini, listening, listening to every single note. And the biographer is blown away by the beauty of the music. It was absolutely stunning. And when it was all over and he was allowed to talk to Tuscanini, he says, wow, that was magnificent. Tuscanini says, no, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. There was one violin player missing. So what you I mean, there's one violin. <laughs> how could you possibly know there's one violin player? There was a symphony. It was hundreds of musicians playing together. No, there was one, one violin player missing. So the next day, it's bothering him. Is, could, could he have possibly picked up on that? He calls the place where the symphony went, and he says, how many violin players played last night? He said, we were supposed to have 120, only 119 showed up. One guy called in sick in the last minute. And he can't believe this. He comes back to Tuscany. How did you know? How could you know out of 120 violin players that there was only 119? Most of us, if there's seven violin players, would never know how many there were. How did you know? And he says, to you, you're just hearing music. And if you're just hearing music, it sounds good. If You're happy. You go home. Yeah, you got your money's worth. I wrote the music. And if I wrote the music for each and every single player, I know when there's a note missing. And there was a few notes missing, which meant someone wasn't playing their notes. Why do I close with the story of Toscanini? Every single Jew is a musician in the symphony orchestra. You all have notes that were written for you by God Almighty, by the Toscanini of my story. He wrote notes for you that you need to conduct in this world. No, you're not a bad Jew. You're a musician on stage for the greatest symphony that's ever been played for the world. And if your note is missing, guess what? There's something lacking in all of us. We need your note. So get involved in any way you can, any affiliation that you feel comfortable with. Just get involved. Learn a little bit. Study a little bit. Embrace yourself in the Torah. Go to Israel. Give charity. Do something. Become part of the Jewish Business Leaders Group. Become part of any Jewish network. Get involved and we will hear your notes and we will enjoy it and we will all applaud it.
0: Rabbi Brisky, so well said. Such a great way to tie in. Uh, just a, a clean conclusion of a strong message. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. You're very
1: welcome, Shaz. You keep Should up your
0: good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Should someone want to connect with you, what is the best way they can reach out?
1: Anyone who wants to get in touch with me can email rabbi at ch C-H-A-B-A-D-C-O-N-E-J-O, or visit our website, chabadkeneo.com. I look forward to hearing from all of you.
0: Amazing. Rabbi Brisky, thank you so much. You're very well,
1: welcome, Chaz. Thank you so much. Regards to your pops.
0: Shalom. <laughs>